0: I'm going to take your attention to the book of Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him, speaking of Jesus, and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touchest me? And right about that time, Jesus rolls his eyes and says, I realize it's crowded, but this is different. And he says, somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort Thy faith has made thee whole. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning about apostolic access. If you could lift your hands all over this building and let's just ask God to be with us. Lord, we honor you this morning. God, we have entered into your presence. We have sung your praises. We have magnified your name. We are asking that through the preaching of your word you would continue to minister to us, God. Give us a freedom in this place that we would allow you to shape our hearts and our minds, God. I'm asking, Lord, that you would help us. Give us the courage and the strength to respond to your word in the way you intend us to do so. In Jesus' name, and you may be seated. During the early days of trying to understand electricity, Puritans and Quakers evaluated lightnings, most often striking church steeples, and deemed it as either a sign from heaven or hell. However, there was a guy soon to be made famous by a kite that said, I think it's not that deep. He said, I think it is more to do with material and location." After all, it's a metal steeple in the sky. His observations of electricity initially led to his published book in 1751 called Experiments and Observations on Electricity. It became an international bestseller. This led to the famous 1752 experiment, which included a silk kite, a key, a rope, and a silk thread while his son helped him there at the job. This was the beginning of understanding the great power that was locked up in electricity. And once its benefits were better understood, no one wanted to be denied access. Look behind me on the screen as we watch this timeline unfold. In 1752, there was the experiment from Benjamin Franklin. Then throughout the next hundred years, many inventors, scientists, tried to find a way to use electrical power to make light. And then in 1879, the American inventor Thomas Edison was finally able to produce a reliable, long-lasting electric light bulb in his laboratory. By the end of the 1880s, small electrical stations, based on Edison's designs, were in a number of cities, but each station was able to power only a few city blocks, By 1930, the majority of people living in larger towns were enjoying electricity, but only 10% of Americans who lived in rural or farm areas had electric power. 1935, they established the Rural Electric Administration to help improve this. And by 1939, they saw great results, and the percentage of rural homes with electricity had risen 25%. Now we could continue down this timeline year after year as we have continued to reap benefits from what we can do in society with electricity. I'll just skip all the way ahead to 2003 when Tesla was founded. All those years, we had electricity in our homes and, and was able to have societal benefits in hospitals, refrigerators, washers, and dryers. But then in 2003, when we thought we had got everything we can from electricity, someone said, I think we can use it for more. And Elon Musk founded Tesla as a manufacturer of all electric cars. And today, the biggest battle among the largest in the automotive industry, is to produce an electric line with their brand. So here's the question. Why so much investment? Why so much investment in utilizing electricity? The answer is simple. It was too good not to pursue. The benefits of using electricity once we found out what it was capable of were so great that we would have been foolish to not pursue it and used it to make our society a better place. And that is the mindset in which we find this woman here in this text. She has spent 12 years of her life battling this sickness, this illness, this disease, and to no avail. She spent all of her money and all of her finances to try to get an answer. And then all of a sudden, as we read the text where Luke picks up the story, she is standing in a crowd of people and just an eye shot away from her is Jesus, the one that's been performing miracles the one that has answers to all the questions is right before her eyes. Between her and him is a crowd of people. But before she has to physically maneuver through the crowd to make it to Jesus, she had to first deal with some belief issues. You see, we're seeing the story here because this is where Luke picked up the story. And in my mind, I've always had this woman as this was her moment of bravery. I picture her starting in the crowd, seeing Jesus and just determining within herself, there's nothing stopping me now. As she just moves and pushes and bumps people out of her way to make it to him. And that's true. She was really brave. The tenacity of this woman as we go and examine a little bit about her ceremonial uncleanness, her defilement. But long before that happened, because she was ceremonially unclean, she was not to be out among the people. Look, it wasn't like she could easily sneak among the people anything that she touched became unclean, right? So it wasn't that she didn't have friends or people that cared for her, but if someone bumped into her or if a friend got touched on the hand, now they had to deal with it. It wasn't like her disease overtook them, but because she's suffering this disease, the law said that if she touched them, they were now unclean. They had to go 24 hours being on lockdown by their cells, Look, if anybody understands this, it's us. We just went through 2020. She, they would have to go on lockdown by themselves, and the, the cleansing ritual was that you had to be bathed fully immersed. Now, that's easy for you today. If I'm like, hey, all you got to do is run home and take a bath, and you're good, it's easy. We got running water, we got plumbing, we have bathtubs. It was not common for people to have bathtubs in their homes in this time. It was not easy to find a place where you could go and you could be ceremonially cleansed by being immersed in the bathwater. And so for everyone that would have loved her, they were not against her, they were just for themselves. So she would not have been out in the public. You see, her battle would have started Long before that, and would have been within the confinement of her home, where she had been all by herself for a great length of time, where she hadn't had friends and family and, and neighbors stopping by to see her and checking in on her and spending time with her. She had went years without great interaction with people, without being able to wrap her arms around somebody. And better than that, or worse than that, I should say, she spent everything that she had. Do you remember what it was like to be on quarantine? Remember when they locked down? I don't know what it was like anywhere else, but here in Indianapolis, it was like two months we were on lockdown, it seemed like. And we were trying to stay in our homes, and unless you had a certain type of job, you just had to stay home. How many people went borderline like you were close to the edge, going crazy? For everyone that didn't raise their hand, that's because you jumped off the edge. You were there. You wasn't close. You were like out of your mind. I was out of my mind. And hopefully, we're far enough away now where I broke all the rules. It's like enough time has passed. Like, there's got to be a law, Brother Titus, wherever you're at, that I can't be in trouble for that. But it drives you crazy. And I had people in my home, I got to spend time with the kids, my wife. We all got to spend time together. This woman was more than likely dealing with this all by herself. Nobody's spending time with her. And we're not talking two months. We're talking years. She wasn't wealthy. The Bible doesn't speak to her being wealthy. But even if she was, she would have expensed all of that money and all of that wealth quickly with physicians coming to see her and trying to help her. Imagine the mental weight of that. How does it feel? I had money, but I spent everything that I had trying to get better, but I'm just as bad as I was when I started. And she's in her home and every day she's dealing with this, the mental weight of its weighing upon her, she's wrestling with it. And somehow she hears about Jesus. I don't even have a clear picture of how that happened. And she could just hear into the city streets the the buzz of the conversation because people were talking about this man who was doing things that they had never seen before, there were miracles being performed, I don't know. I like to think of it this way. I think she had a good friend that cared about her. This is my story, I'm making it up. That cared about her, who maybe witnessed one of Jesus' miracles. And the moment that that friend witnessed it, The first person that came into their mind was this woman. She knew she couldn't go talk to her. She knew she couldn't get close to her. So she scratched down a note for her and walked by her house and slid it under the door. Perhaps that note said something like, if you can just make it to Jesus, if you can just get to him. Now that note seems crazy because she would have known I can't get to him. I cannot live, leave my house. I can't be out in the public. But the truth of the matter is, whether she got a note or whether she heard it from outside, if she could just get to Jesus, then everything that she was dealing with, everything she was fighting against, all of her struggles, certainly the depression from year after year of being all alone and having no hope could be restored if she could just get to Jesus. So that's where the battle begins. The battle began in her mind. When she heard about Jesus, there's no doubt that she thought, maybe I should try to make it to him. Maybe I should try to reach him. But instantly, the enemy would have played it out in her mind. Why should you allow yourself to hope again? You've tried other things that should have worked. You didn't spend your money on booze and alcohol. You spent your money on physicians. They should have been able to bring about a good resolve, but it did not work. Why would you allow your hopes to be lifted again just to be crushed one more time in the end? And that's the battle the enemy tries to get us to fall prey to before we ever make it anywhere near Jesus. He tries to convince us in our mind that because we have tried other things and they did not work, we don't deserve another chance with the king. Listen, people deal with life in different ways. We come from different backgrounds. For those of you that were raised in two-parent homes and had great mothers and fathers and were raised in the church, I'm so thankful for that, but that does not exempt you from the attacks of the enemy. You have went through this same dilemma in your mind where God is trying to get you somewhere, but the enemy's trying to convince you that you don't deserve it, that you shouldn't hope in it, that you should not believe. He wants you to be in bondage in your mind. Because if he can keep you in bondage in your mind, you're never going to make it to the place where you're in the crowd and you can see with your eyes your answer. And once you get that close, once you make up your mind and you make it to the crowd, the enemy knows there's a good chance you're going all in. He knows there's a good chance you've put up with enough of this that you're just going to force your way, push your way, fight your way, bite your way, whatever you got to do to get to him. And there she is in her home and she's trying to decide, what do I do? I hear about this Jesus. I'm thinking about this Jesus. I just don't believe that I can do it. I just don't believe that it's possible. It's like the law of the lid. Maybe you've heard this. It's an experiment that they did with fleas. Everybody's going to be like itching and scratching and squirming. It's an experiment that they did with fleas where they put a bunch of fleas in a jar and then they put a lid on it. Fleas can jump. They can jump extremely high for being tiny little animals or creatures or insects, whatever they are. And they leave them in the jar and they jump and they hit the lid and they hit the lid and they hit the lid and they hit the lid. And they they do that so much that the scientists can unscrew the lid at some point and take the lid off and leave it there and the fleas will continue to jump, but they will never go higher than where the lid was before. They're right there. They possess all the strength and all the ability to be free from that confinement, but somehow they've been convinced and trained that they can't do it. I want someone to know today that that is an absolute lie, that you've got the ability, you've got the wherewithal, that you can step out of your situation, and you can make your way to Jesus. The enemy would like you to believe that that's as high as you can go, but the Lord wants you to know he's trying to take you up higher. The Lord wants you to know that he's got that lid off and he's looking for you to jump as high as you can jump. He's looking for you to go as far as you can go. And so she makes the decision up in her mind and she steps out that front door. Before she pushed through that crowd, she just had to make it out the front door. And now she steps outside, pulls out the agenda because you know, Jesus had an agenda, right? Starts flipping through, okay, at 2 o'clock he's going to be here. 1 o'clock he's here. 4 o'clock, break time, dinner, I'll catch him here. It didn't work like that. Her first battle was just allowing herself to believe in hope again. To know that she could do it. To know that she shouldn't be held back. But once she stepped out that door when she made up her mind, I believe that God has something for me. I believe that Jesus wants to do something in my life. Now she entered into the city streets and she had to find him. <laughs> there wasn't friends walking her around. No one stopped by to say, Hey, Jesus is over here. She's actually going out probably pretty well covered up so that nobody recognizes her. She's trying to be under the radar. She's not trying to be seen. And She steps out, and all of a sudden, she's looking around, and she realizes, okay, I believe that God wants to do it, but now I've got to put in some work and make my way to him. And She starts going through the city streets, and she's seeing things that look different because it's been several years since she's been on this particular corner or turned down this particular alley. Things are a little bit confusing to her, but she doesn't allow that to get in her way. She just keeps looking. It's going to take a little bit of work and effort on our part. If we ever want to achieve what God has designed us to achieve, he's got great blessings. He's got incredible works he wants to do, but we're going to have to put forth some effort. And that's where she's at now. Now she's outside and now she's walking, trying to figure it out. She's going to the places where she remembers people used to gather She's going to the streets where she knows that people will pass through. There is no guarantee that she's going to find him, but she's going to go look for him. She's going to look for him. That's the guarantee we have in Christ. If we seek him, we will find him. Someone needs to know that. If you seek him, you will find him. It's an absolute guarantee. There has never been anyone that has ever looked for Christ, that has ever sought out to find Jesus, that has not found him. He is available. He is waiting. He is hoping for the encounter. He wants you to seek him. James said, if they draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to them. It's a promise for us. Don't be convinced of anything else. You've not went too far. You've not done too wrong. Where if you start to seek after God, you won't find him. He's not hiding from you. He's not in disguise. He's just waiting for you to make up your mind that you're going to seek his face. We find her then picking up where Luke is recording. And now she's in the crowd of people. She's dealt with the mental aspect. She was brave enough to make sure that she would go out and put forth effort to seek him. And now she has found him. Now he's just an eye shot away. She can see him. She may be close enough to hear him speaking. And all of a sudden, she's got to wrestle with, what do I do? What do I do? I see him there. I've heard that if I can get to him and touch the hem of his garment, that all my troubles will disappear. But everyone is in my way. And she's looking through the crowd of people. And all she can see is glimpses of Jesus because there are so many things between her and him. Maybe you can identify with where she's at right now. She's already left her home. She's in his presence. And now she's just got to get a hold of him and the mental battle continues. Do I push through or do I not push through? I've done all this work so far. Do I give up now or do I continue to plug and push through the crowd? Because the moment she starts walking through that crowd, everybody she touches, unclean, 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 unclean. They may not know it because she's covered up well, but she knows the law. And she might have been avoiding the crowds finding Jesus, but no longer could she avoid that. She was going to have to interact and come in contact with that which was standing between her and her answer. So many times we make our way into a church building. And we've dealt with the mental stress of it. We've convinced ourselves Jesus loves me and Jesus wants to do something in my life. And we get up and we get dressed and we come to the church building and, and we get into these pews. But then you realize you're in the same scenario that she is. You know that you need God. You know that he has the answers You're here when we worship. You're here when people are getting baptized. You watch as God fills people with the spirit. You feel his touch all throughout service. But then when it's time to respond to him, when it's time to respond to his tugging at your heart, there's no service that goes by when you're in God's presence that he's not pulling at you. He's not reaching for you. It doesn't matter, sinner and saint alike, he's reaching for you. He's trying to pull you closer. You don't arrive until we make it into glory. We're not finished here until we're called up into heaven. And so all of our time here, God's pulling us. God's trying to get us closer to him. He's wanting to do something in our life. He's wanting to clean things up a little nicer. I know last month he fixed this area of your life, but this week he wants to do this thing. And and if you allow him next week, he's going to do this thing. And if you continue to follow as he draws you nigh, then he will continue to shape your life. But too often we end up in this building and it's like we're looking through the crowd. We're looking through the crowd of people. And we know that the preacher is making an altar call and an appeal to us to say, if you want something to happen, just step out and come forward and begin to cry out to him. We know that if we would do that, then God is going to meet us here. We know it, but it's, it's tough. It's not that easy. It's just not that easy for some people. And if we're honest, each one of us have been in that position a time or two in our lives. God's wanting us to come close. God's wanting us to push through. God's wanting us to fight for that, to show that this is truly what we desire. Maybe going through her mind at that time was maybe I made a mistake. Maybe it's not really for me. Maybe he healed them. Maybe he fixed them. Maybe he restored them, but maybe it's not really for me. Let me tell you about grace. Grace is a beautiful thing. In its simplest definition, it is the unmerited favor of God. Okay? This is why they won't let me teach in Bible college. We're going deep. The unmerited favor of God. What's unmerited mean? It means it's not deserved, it means it's not earned. The grace of God is available, is given to everyone. It can't be earned and it's not deserved. Only the possessor of it decides who can be the recipient of it. Are you with me so far? So it's God's grace that he has given to everyone. I mean everyone. If it's your first time in this building, you've got God's grace. If you grew up in this church, you've got God's grace. We could get in our cars and we could drive into some very disparaging situations and find somebody somewhere who's strung out on drugs, who doesn't know Jesus, who's never known Jesus, who's not thinking about Jesus, and they have the same grace of God, the same grace of God is available to them right there where they're at. The grace of God is everywhere. We don't decide who gets the grace. He decides who gets the grace. He said it's everywhere. Everybody gets it. Grace for you, grace for you, grace for you. I walk forward, I bump into grace. I go backwards, I back into grace. I jump up and down, I'm jumping in grace. Don't make me get on this floor and roll in grace. Grace Is for everybody. But we are saved how? By grace through faith. That's what she's really dealing with. Jesus was there, the grace of God is here. We have to make up in our mind that we will access everything He has. Through faith. Faith is the key. I'm going to believe that God wants to do something in my life. I'm going to believe that when he died on that cross, it wasn't just for good people. It wasn't just for rich people. It wasn't just for poor people. It wasn't just for white people or black people or brown people. But when he died on that cross, it was for everybody. And that includes me. That includes you. That includes all of us. The grace of God is sufficient and it is freely given. And so she makes up her mind. I'm going to push through and she pushes through the crowd and we all know what happens. We read the full story because it wasn't about the end result as much as it was about this process that she went through she made her way to him. And when she touched the hem of his garment, virtue flowed. Virtue flowed. Goodness of God flowed into that woman and made her whole. Hear me. It's worth it. It's worth fighting the mental battle, and walking out of your house. It's worth entering into the house of God, and it's worth pursuing Him every moment of every day because when you get a hold of Jesus, when we get a hold of Him, the answers we've been looking for, we don't have to look anymore. There is healing in Him. There is deliverance in Him. There is new life in Him. Everything. Everything. Everything we need is in him. Why would she pursue it? Why would she step out? Why would she go against the law? Because it's worth it. If she can just get a hold of him, it'll make every battle worth it. If you're in this place today and God is tugging on your heart, if you will just get a hold of him, He's wanting to do something in your life. He's wanting to fix some things. He's wanting to shape some things. But you've got to get a hold of him. It was not enough for her to see him. wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for her to hear him or be close enough to hear him speak. She had to get a hold of him. She received her miracle, and that was the only miracle recorded in that crowd among that group of people, but she sparked something. Oh, this woman, she sparked something. When we read in Matthew chapter 14, and in verse 35, it says, And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, speaking of Jesus, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. Check out verse 36. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many, hear that, as many, as many, Anyone that touched the hem of his garment was made perfectly whole. It was one woman's faith who said, I will not give up. I will not believe that I'm meant to be in this broken life forever. She got her blessing and she prompted others to get theirs. welcome. We talked about grace. That's the reason why Jesus could stand up in John chapter seven. He was at a feast. How many people know like the proper setting for your fork, 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 knife, spoon, or however it goes? Like you really know it. (laughs) We're so barbaric. Okay, I'm asking you because I don't know either. But Jesus is at a feast an important feast. And my guess is it was not proper etiquette to stand up in the middle of the feast and cry out. Okay? But here's what he did. In the middle of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If any man thirst, no qualifiers. It didn't matter about your past. It didn't matter what you've tried. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your family. If any man thirst, let him come. He stood in the middle of the feast. He could have said anything he wanted to if he was going to make a scene. But in that moment, what he needed everyone to know more than anything else, everybody, anybody, all of you, if you thirst, if you thirst, then you can come. I'm going to turn your attention to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> In verse nine, this story is where Jesus has sent the seventy. You could stand with me, so help me close. <clears throat> It says in verse 9, Jesus told them to go and in the cities that receive you, heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And the 70 returned again in verse 17 with joy. They went out to do the work that Jesus was sending them to do which he specifically said would include miraculous healings. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now up to that point, it's pretty exciting. The disciples went out, they did what they were supposed to do, and everything that Jesus promised would happen, happened. There was miracles, signs and wonders. They didn't just heal people the devils were cast out and they obeyed them as they called out against them in his name. And Jesus goes on to tell them about all the power that they're going to have to tread upon serpents and nothing shall hurt you. That's a good day, right? Would you admit if we stop there, it's a pretty good day? This is good, Jesus. Thank you for this. But he goes on, and what he says in verse 20 is astounding and necessary for us to hear. He says, notwithstanding, in these things, rejoice not. Rejoice not. The demons obeyed, rejoice not. That's not the big deal. Don't get all caught up and excited about the demons obeying you. The sick were healed, that's incredible. But that's not what you really need to be excited about. He gets them built up to this point, talking about all of these grand things that he's doing through them. And then he tells them, but don't get excited in that. It's going to get better. There's more to it than just the healings, more to it than just the devils being cast out, more to it than just deliverance from addictions. He goes on to say, the subject, the spirits, yeah, they're subject to you but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. If there's anything that we got to get excited about, it's knowing that our name is written in heaven. I'm glad for the power of God that brings forth deliverance. You guys know me. You know my story. I was a drug addict. I was a gang member. I was an alcoholic, and there's no way I could live for God had he not delivered me from those things, but my goodness, hey, hey, and I got excited. I got excited the first time I didn't crave alcohol. I got excited the first time I didn't crave crack or weed or pills. I got excited the first time I got angry and didn't punch something. I got excited about that, and all of those things are incredible, but what God is saying that all of that is meaningless, if it's not for the fact that your name is written in heaven. Can we put our hands together? Oh, we love you, Jesus. Yes, we praise your name, God. Adore you, mighty King. We adore you, Jesus. I'm about to open up this altar for prayer. I'm not trying to dictate how you pray, but I feel instruction to give you for these next few minutes. I think we've learned a lot. I call her Kim. She doesn't have a name, but I call her Kim. We learned a lot from Kim. From this woman with this disease. Here's how I want to encourage you to pray this morning. We're going to open up the altar. And no matter where you are. In your walk with God. No matter where you're at. How close you are to God. Or how far from him you are. I want you to first make up in your mind that you have a reason to hope. You have every right, and God wants you to hope again. God wants you to believe again that if he's done it for someone else, I promise you he can do it for you, and if he's never done it for anyone, he can still do it for you. And then when you get up to this altar and you begin to pray, we're going to do it just like she did when she stepped out of her house, and we're going to feel after him. We're going to seek him in prayer. I'm not looking for anything specific, God. I'm just looking for you. Jesus, I'm looking for you. He knows your problems. He knows your struggles. He knows your shortcomings. For a few minutes, all I want you to do is seek after him. And in seeking after him in prayer, I make you an absolute guaranteed promise. He is going to reveal himself to you. He is going to meet you at this altar when you seek his face. And what you got to do next is you just got to get a hold of him. You gotta get a hold of him. With all the tenacity that this woman had, you gotta get a hold of Jesus. We're gonna believe. We're gonna hope again. We're gonna seek him in prayer. And when he touches us, we're gonna get a hold of him. And you know when we'll stop? When we get from him what he intends for you to have today. This altar is open, let's make our way together, find your place to pray. You have every reason to believe that the grace of God is for you. You have every reason to believe that you're not meant to live in constant turmoil, depression or anxiety. You're not meant to wake up every morning having to fight a battle. God gives you strength. He wants to lift you out of bondage. He wants to set you free. But you gotta seek it this morning. You gotta want that more than anything else.